0: With your help, we can continue to fight for freedom, reach new audiences, and bring important information to the public, free of charge. This is not possible without your generosity. Join our quest for the truth and our freedom and donate today. Simply go to tntradio.live. You're listening to Chris Smith
1: on today's News Talk Radio,
0: TNT. TNT. Hey, some good conversations on our chat box on tntradio.live, but if you want to get VIP status jump on our talkback lines from the United States or Canada, one From the UK, zero double three double zero two four one zero two six. And from Australia and New Zealand, 1-800-670-310. Now, as my, if my time is right, um that would indicate to me that the ceasefire in gaza should begin now i'll monitor some of the news sites for you and see if we can get any sign that that part of this hostage deal has been followed because if it's not we can't expect any of the hostages to be released in uh, about 7 or 8 hours from now just on the back of what john Klauser had to said had to say about the fact that the world is not in peril A power grid operator that serves millions of Americans across the mid-Atlantic is warning that a planned coal-fired power plant shutdown will severely threaten electricity supplies and occur before new power sources come online. You know what my big bugbear is? Forget about this praying and hoping that renewables take over and supply us with power. How about you show us that it can replace baseload power, and then when it does, we'll turn off our coal-fired power stations. Not beforehand, because this is what happens. PJM interconnection, which coordinates the movement of wholesale electricity in all or parts of 13 states and the District of Columbia, serving 65 million consumers, mind you, said the forthcoming shutdown of Brandon Shaw's coal power plant located outside of Baltimore will disrupt the reliability of the region's grid. The plant's operator, Texas-based Talon Energy, intends to deactivate the plant in June 2025 as part of a settlement, but there is strong concern that the power will go out in areas of Maryland and beyond. This is what happens when you don't have a plan for proper transition, when you just rely on hope, you just rely on subsidies, you rely on taxpayers' money and lots of prayers because that's what evangelists do. They just pray. That's not science. That's not logistical proven transition. And they're the problems that we face right now. The Israeli health ministry issued local hospitals with guidelines for feeding patients suffering from malnutrition as they prepare to admit the first hostages released by Hamas. Official guidelines address treating re-feeding syndrome in returning captives. Prolonged malnutrition may lead to significant nutritional deficiencies that can adversely affect health and even pose a life-threatening risk. Uh, Children between one and three years of age should be given water, a sweet biscuit, unsweetened apple sauce, tea sweetened with a teaspoon of sugar, the guy said. Uh, The guide said, adolescents and adults are to be given water, a hot drink, sweetened with a tablespoon of sugar, three sweet biscuits, and unsweetened apple sauce. I don't know about you, but if I was trapped and not fed properly, I'd be thinking about something bigger, fattier, tastier than that. But anyway, that's what the hostages can be greeted with when they're hospitalized after being released by Hamas. Let's keep our fingers crossed that that actually happens. This is TNT Radio
2: there's a lot going on so it's important to stay informed and up to date get ready because here we go at the top 30 minutes past and when it breaks
1: today's news talk radio
0: tnt oh, a lot of people waiting for this segment the best segment of the week i've got two listeners who are saying that about john Ruddick, our friday political animal he is the leader of the liberal democratic party in new south wales and i must admit I must admit, I do look forward to this segment each and every Friday. John Ruddick, MLC, welcome to the program.
1: Good afternoon, Chris. And it's uh, nice to see you today.
3: Nice, nice studio you've got there.
0: Yes, a very elaborate studio. And uh, you don't look too badly yourself, mate. Very well done. I like the white jacket. Well, it's my
1: Argentinian look: the blue, the light blue, and the white. So we're celebrating. The election of uh, the magnificent Javier Malay, yes.
0: Why don't we start with that? You've got Javier, the libertarian, who's taken over Argentina. Uh, On top of that, you've got uh, the conservative, uh, Giet Wilders. He's won the Dutch election. There's a major shift underway across the world. And I noticed that the New Zealanders have been signing documents today because they've got their own conservative national party running New Zealand. What's happening here, mate? Okay, well, on top of all those magnificent r- results, Donald Trump is now smashing Joe
1: Biden in the polls. Mm. Every single poll, the New York Times, the CNN, can, all these organisations that hate Trump's guts, they keep coming out with polls. Trump's winning by 6%. Now, when did it all turn around? I believe the, I think a very major turning point was October the 7th and the Hamas attack. And, and then not just that, the explosion in violently anti-Israel people throughout the world. Right. And I think, and people, I don't think in particular with America, I think people are saying, look, Donald Trump became famous politically as a border hawk. And I, I'm thinking now people are thinking, gee, maybe the border hawks were right
0: well i have a feeling there might be a country or two that will be heading down the same path and i think it's a little bit more than october 7 i've got to disagree i think it's what people have experienced when they've got socialist governments running the show they worry more about their social reformation and less about the economy and what's in their back pocket
3: well look okay well more specifically
1: on the most important news of the week the most important news maybe of the decade harvey malay and argentina Mm. Now if you go back in time 100 years ago there were two very wealthy countries in the southern hemisphere there was Australia and there was Argentina and they were they had very they had the the two, those two countries had the highest living standards in the world uh, now then then we went into the depression the great depression australia had a very bad great depression for about 2 years then we had magnificent leadership under Joseph Lyons mm. and we bounced out of the recession very very well thank you very much now, poor old Argentina, which was sort of like our Southern Hemisphere twin, rather than having Joe Lyons, they had these bloody communists, you know, or, you know, or, or socialists, uh, you know, the Perons, Eva Peron and her silly husband. Yeah. And they wrecked the joint. Yeah. They brought in big time socialism. And barely without an exception, there's been an exception here and there over the last century, the Perons have run Argentina and they've run it into the ground. So rather than having uh, the highest living standards in the world, you've got you've got about 30% of Argentinians Argentinians genuinely live in poverty. Not like when they say Australian people are living in poverty. Australian people in poverty are usually very overweight, so they're not that. There's not that much poverty going on. Um, but the, in Argentina, now we've got now this Harvey Malay was a terrific economist, and he's very charismatic, and he's not mucking around. He's not somebody who said, "I oh, I want to be the president one day," you know. He's, he's just a true believer, and he's not just a libertarian, Chris. He's like an anarcho-capitalist. He actually believes, he has publicly said, that the ultimate the ultimate state, the perfect utopia, will have no government, and he wants to slowly but surely get, move in that
0: direction. Excellent. So
1: let's see what happens. I think he, it's going to be very exciting.
0: Talking about what he believes in, how about we talk about what he doesn't believe in? He doesn't believe in global boiling. And this is why they hate him. This and this is why they hate Donald Trump.
1: Okay, if Donald Trump was exactly the same person he was, but he said, "Look, yeah, I'm right wing on everything else, but you know this this global boiling, it's so important and it's a very high priority for my administration." And then they would have the hatred of Trump would have been like about thirty percent what it was, because that's their biggest issue, Chris. Now then, yes, they Harvey Malay. Now he's a radical libertarian. These there is nothing further from a fascist than a radical libertarian. The fascist wants a big powerful government to boss people around and to beat people up. Yeah. The libertarian says, look, we want a really small government so people can be people. Okay. <laughs> but the, the Western media this week have been running around a million miles an hour saying, Harvey Malay, far right, fascist right. Okay, they are lying. Now why do they hate him so much? Global boiling. He's got he's got sufficient intelligence and political courage to come out and say, Look, it's BS. They're lying to you. I was wearing UGG boots for half of today, Chris. and I'm three days from from summer. Yes, They've been like, now I think most people out there in the Western world that have had this climate change shoved down their throat now for 20 years, I think most, this is what most people think, they think, yes, they're exaggerating it, yes, it's a bit hysterical, but look, they're making so much of a noise about it, it must be somewhat true, it must be half true. And that's the problem, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah. No, these lying bastards are not telling you any of the
0: truth. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Now, l- listen. Let me let me get to that. Um, I want to talk about global boiling, and of course, we've got COP twenty eight coming up in Dubai. Another chance to deposit money into the big nest egg of the world. Uh, US boiling envoy john kerry says nuclear is 100 part of the solution nuclear stocks are rising of course john which shows what investors are thinking about the future but of course the backwater of the pacific known as australia will allow the world to advance its energy stocks via nuclear while australians who've got most of the the uranium will be praying at the base of those expensive and unreliable windmills and end up paying mammoth bills for power. I need to escape this primitive empire, John. Well, it's very, very, very
1: interesting what John Kerry has said this week about saying 100% nuclear is in the mix. This contradicts everything they've said since Al Gore came out with his movie. Yeah. Now They've always said, oh, yeah, yeah, well, they can't argue with the fact that uh, nuclear is almost carbon-free energy, but they say, oh, it's too expensive, it takes too long. But this week they've had a big backtrack they said, oh, yeah, yeah, 100% nuclear. Now, why is that? It's because the renewables have not worked.
0: Correct. And
1: they have been tried. They've pumped a n- trillions of dollars all around the world in Germany, California, Australia, everywhere. They've tried and tried and tried, and they accept it now doesn't work. The free market could, could have told them at the beginning. So what are they doing now? They're saying, okay, well, let's just tack to nuclear. That's what they're doing. Mm. Now, you know, of course we're all pro-nuclear. The libertarians believe: Look, let all the energy sources compete in a free market—nuclear, Yeah. Nuclear, coal, uh, the hydro, the whole flame and lot—and
0: renewables wouldn't last the competition, it, mate.
1: Well, you, you can't power an industrial powerhouse like Australia off windmills and and and, and um, yeah, you know, solar and panels. Solar, solar panels. Now, people say to me, "Oh, I love my solar panels, John. You know, it, it reduces my electricity bill." And I say, "Well, that's fantastic. Put it up on your roof." Who can the, that's the free market it's working good stuff okay we don't need government subsidies now now but but can you run a big manufacturing plant on this No, you can run your yeah you know, your, your household appliances and not you can't always do that
0: no okay. you can only run one at a time usually yeah well and then it might be snow it might be cloudy for two weeks then there'll be yeah. problems as well yeah, exactly Um, You you have watched your state, New South Wales, entwine itself into the global boiling maze. Net zero has been enshrined into law this week without any statement about what can be achieved or what they want to see achieved. You were not happy, John, and this is some of what you said on the floor of parliament.
3: There are probably 200 factors that influence atmospheric temperature, and today we understand few of them. Now, the science will progress with time, But it is fanciful to think that there is one atmospheric temperature control switch called carbon dioxide, and that's what this bill is based on. They're saying 0.04 per cent of the atmosphere controls everything. and Most of the carbon dioxide is naturally made—yes, industrialisation creates a bit—but we're saying that that little bit is going to change the temperature. This is the witch doctors of primitive times, that we we, we can change change the weather. Global boiling is a mass delusion. Mankind has been subject to many in the past. In 1841, Charles McKay published a fabulous book entitled Extraordinary Popular Delusions and the Madness of Crowds. McKay detailed the history of how masses are susceptible to believe, really believe, utter follies.
0: Yeah, and this has got to be one of the great follies of our century.
1: Well, look, you know, they've passed this silly uh, uh, net zero carbon bill by 2030, 2050, okay? It's all off of the never-never, okay? It's, it's it's all a feel-good legislation. It doesn't, doesn't really do much in the real world, okay? But I'll tell you what the uh, viewers will be interested to know, Chris, uh, and that's this. Um, the Liberal Party attacked the Labor Party over this because it didn't go far enough, okay? so <laughs> they, they, and, and I got a, in that little speech you just played just before that, I said 80% of members of the New South Wales Liberal Party agree with John Ruddick and the Libertarian Party and not their parliamentary team on this. Yeah. 80% of the Liberal Party membership, and I'm sure there's a lot of listening right now, Chris, they are wise, good people, and they've seen through this global boiling BS from the beginning. But the parliamentary team thinks, oh, my God, we've lost these teal seats. We've lost these teal seats, okay? Seriously, I mean, look, I'm in competition with the Liberal Party now, but, look, I'll give them a free bit of advice. Forget the teal seats. They're gone, okay? Mm. For every one teal seat you lose, you can pick up two coal seats in the Hunter Valley. Yeah. There's a lot of... uh, Wollongong, Newcastle. There's, I reckon if they should trade in one teal seat, trade in North Sydney, where I live, for three in the Hunter Valley. That's a good deal. But no, 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 they can't. They can't see that because they keep wanting to suck up to the corporate media. Mm. They want the ABC and the Guardian and the Sydney Morning Herald to say, oh, aren't the New South Wales Liberal parliamentary team progressive? Yes. Oh, they're, they're our favourite type of Liberals.
0: Yeah. It's all about votes. It's all about votes. Now, there's no school again today uh, for a huge number of students in Sydney because they wanted to protest against Israel. Um, Maybe they missed the news about October 7. I don't know. But anyway, they had a climate rally last week, uh, a Palestine rally today. Maybe it's a transgender rally next week, John. And a 16-year-old girl told the Australian newspaper, quote, Israel should not exist and that Hamas was doing a good job. Who said the Australian education system is biased? Well, look, the first thing I would say on this
3: is
1: Elon Musk has been pretty good on Twitter, X about letting some of these very gruesome videos from October the 7th get to uh, be seen by the public. But they should release all the videos and really shock the world to see what happened. Now, about a week ago in Washington, D.C., they had a little private briefing for senators and congressmen to see the full gory story of what happened on October the 7th. And people, grown men, senators and congressmen, women, they were crying their eyes out when they saw what happened. Now, I don't believe, I don't know what the upside is in not releasing this to the public, because mm. these dumb kids, and that's what they are, out there, you know, they're not only pro-Hamas and anti-Israel, <coughs> they say Allah Akbar, okay? Well, yeah, they're basically, you know, converting to Islam. Okay, well, uh, you know, if, I don't think it's very sincere. I don't think they've sat down and read the Quran and studied the whole thing, okay? Yeah. No. But look this is the main the thing the key thing that needs to be said here Chris is that's this I truly believe our democracy would be a lot safer if you could not vote until you were 30 years of age okay uh, 30 30 absolutely okay because you think about it when you're 40 you look back at 30 and you still think you're pretty
0: stupid but that's when you true when you're 30, you look back at 20, you think, my God, how dumb was I when I was 20? That's when you're 30, okay? <laughs> I look back at when I turned 60 and said I was pretty dumb. But anyway, that's another story. Okay. Well, look, <laughs>
1: kids have got a really fast moving mind. This is why they can learn languages so quickly and they can learn computer stuff so quick. Kids have got a lot of a lot of advantages mentally over us in terms of mm. brain power, us old, old fogies however what the kids do like they might have this very high-powered machine and that's fabulous you know great uh but they lack a little thing called wisdom yeah because okay, they haven't been around the block yeah okay and when you're 20 you can you, know, you fall for this Hamas bs mm. okay and so i truly believe we're all going to be a lot happier the greens the green party vote which is basically communism and global boiling and everything that's Hamas, transgenderism everything that's bad 90% of the Greens voters are under the age of 30. So the Greens are going to go from 10%, Chris, to 2% when right. we bring in this law. 30 That's right. You should not be able to vote until
0: you're 30. <laughs> I love it. It's interesting. I've watched what they were saying during that climate protest last week, and I just shook my head. But I shook my head more violently when I watched the first pictures from the pro-Palestinian student rally today. Boy, oh, boy. Talk about... Inexperienced and naive. We'll take a break and come back and speak with John Ruddick on TNT Radio.
1: TNT Radio's Jeremy Nell and Germ Warfare. I feel like they've hijacked some words that have meaning, sustainable and development, because now if I use the word
4: sustainable, I feel like I'm swearing.
3: When you go onto the United Nations website, so if you go and look at the, their, their documentation, for example, around agenda, agenda 2030, what you get is the kind of glossy brochure image of sustainable development. And really, when you look through that, public facing brochure, I think it's probably probably a reasonable description of it of sustainable development. That's all you get. You you just get the sound bites and you just get the claims about how wonderful it is going to be. The UN states that the agenda is an agenda for transformation of the world. Most perhaps acutely its economy, its industrial processes and perhaps something that is often overlooked, us, our societies and others. Us as individuals, we are to be transformed as well. Jeremy Nell on today's News Talk, TNT Radio. Take us back in time and who was Mike Flynn? He was the national security advisor to the president.
0: Why is it that they go after me so hard? Why me? Why does Barack Obama only talk about two people to the incoming president of the United States? When I was sentenced, the judge says, you have been convicted of lying to cover up for Donald Trump. To which I say, cover up what? Russian
3: collusion? There was no Russian collusion to cover up. We see in today's current uh, scenario with President Joe Biden, who came in with high expectations, that he has been viewed as divisive.
5: And we're committed to advancing transgender equality in the classroom. The liberal media say, well, this is his love for his son. And yes, he's going to protect his son. But let me
4: tell you. A lot of fathers love their sons, but their sons had to go to jail when they broke the law.
3: This moment, people see a lot of those telltale signs of a far left drift to the country. Whether you're talking about socialism or you're talking about communism,
4: socialism
0: is just a kinder cousin of communism. But the goal is the same, for the state to have control of every aspect of your life. Multiple hearings on different agencies that have actually just gone road they took fewer men in the takedown of el chapo than they did to arrest me and comey went back to his organization and brought his other thugs together and basically give them the ground rules okay here's how we're gonna here's what we're gonna do and give now i need some ideas about how to execute this
2: these last four years. We need basically an
5: exorcism in Washington,
0: D.C. When, you know, Satan is tempting Jesus in the desert, I'll I'll give you all the riches of the world. I'll give you everything. All you have to do is bow to me. That's what Barack Obama has done. That's what Jim Comey has done. That's what these bastards have done. The Fall of Deceit at SalemNow.com. Ladies and gentlemen, today's news talk. News and information. TNT Radio. I've got our Friday political animal, John Ruddick, with me, the leader of the New South Wales Liberal Democratic Party. John, just on the subject of bludging, which is what we discussed with those students having another wag day off, um, Victorian public servants, they're refusing to back down over a demand to work four days into the future. Now, this is, I think, what is it, 56,000 staff They don't give a damn about falling productivity and the fact that we need productivity more than anything in this country. It's all about me, 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 and a four day working week. But of course, they'll get paid for the fifth day, although they'll be out somewhere and having a fantastic time. What is wrong with these people? Well, I love this claim
1: that I've made, Chris, because it tells us they are telling us openly they don't have that much work to do. So (laughs) we're employing too many of them. Okay. Now, this is. What Victoria needs is a Harvey Malay. Harvey Malay. Have you seen the video where he's he's got there's about thirty Argentinian government departments, and he's got their names on the whiteboard. He just rips them off. He says, "Gone, gone, gone." You know, we're on the present. We're going to get rid of all these, yeah. and he leaves about out of the thirty departments, he leaves about five. You know, foreign affairs, defence, a few other little things, really important stuff. He gets rid of you know culture and diversity. You know, you know, and you know communications, propaganda. Anyway, so what they need in Victoria, you know, it's um they need a bit of Harvey Malay in there. But um, <clears throat> look, I don't know what's happened with Victoria. You know, the uh, in the first half of the Liberal Party's existence, all the great Liberal Party prime ministers of the early period came from Victoria. Yeah, Menzies, Harold Holt, John Gordon, Malcolm Fraser. Uh, you know, um, and a lot of the other some of them that didn't become leader, Andrew Peacock. You know, didn't become the prime minister, but he was the leader for a long time. It, the Liberal Party, uh, which was what back then was a better party than it is now, it had a bit of courage. It was a Victorian party, you know. Mm. Robert Menzies was very Victorian. Okay, mm. um, now I don't know what the hell. And you know, New South Wales used to have Labor premiers in the eighteen nineties. know? we used to. have – Oh no, sorry, no. Just straight after Federation, we started having Labor premiers. But there was Labor. Lots of Labor Party people in now New South Wales Parliament in the eighteen nineties. Victoria did not have a Labour Party premier till about 1953. So, you know, it, it used to be like the hardcore Conservative state. Now, I don't know what the hell has gone wrong with it, but here's these public servants, you know, they want it, they want it, they want to get paid for five days a week that they say oh, there's only enough work for. 4 They're lazy. Um, I hope they can turn it around in Victoria, you know, because we, we all love Victoria. We all want Victoria to get on its feet, but gee. If it keeps going in this direction, Chris, it's going to drag us all down.
0: Exactly. And if they have this kind of attitude, it'll go backwards faster than it will ever see, even during the COVID uh, pandemic. Now, one quick one before we let you go. The Australian Federal Coalition has been on the attack today after news emerged that a boat carrying up to 12 people arrived undetected somehow on Australia's west coast. Uh, Deputy Opposition Leader Susan Lee says... The smugglers are back. But, you know, under this mob, um, it's always been worth a try as an asylum seeker, hasn't it? You know, Australia is a land of many majestic natural
1: beauties and natural wonders, but our greatest natural asset, Chris, is our wonderful Timor Sea, you know, that, that prevents these people just walking over the border. Yeah, you know, look at our friends in America and Europe, you know, and they are people that are just walking in. Yep. Okay, now we've got this magnificent thing called the Timor Sea. Now, I think Labor has learned its lesson under stupid Mr Rudd, and then the Gillard was, you know, terrible there. And Abbott and Jim Molan, it was Jim Molan who mainly fixed it up. Scott Morrison tried to take the credit, but it was the great late Jim Molan, a good man of yours, of course, who who, who fixed, stopped it. Um, and, and thank God he did. Now, I think Labor, I, Albo's not an idiot. He, the last, Albo knows he'll lose the next election if the, if the boats keep coming back. So I bet he's got out to the, uh, the 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 boss of the Navy. He says, Look, here's three times the manpower you need. Stop yes. so these pretty good boats coming.
0: Yeah, and yeah, I think, yeah.
1: I think it's good the coalition is putting political pressure on him, uh, because I think it should be a, you know, we've got to make sure we do not want the boats coming back. Thank
0: you very much. You're not wrong. I'll let you go. You have a great weekend. Enjoy yourself and we'll talk again next week, mate. Thank you. Join you, Chris. Nice to see you, mate fantastic good to see you the New South Wales leader of the Liberal Democratic Party uh the MLC uh John Ruddick I'm just thinking it's funny that he talks about what Anthony Albanese would be doing right now one of the things that he hasn't done Anthony Albanese is to prioritize what's important and I doubt whether he would be going to the Navy right now because he's more interested in how he's looking what International guest he's seeing what was the next trip he's on he's on holidays at the moment because it was so laborious to go to america and meet the president um, I don't get it. I don't think he'll be doing that at all. I think you'll leave that to someone else because he simply hasn't been up to the job and dealing with the things that matter to Australians. And look how the economy is in Australia right now, going in the opposite direction to the UK and the United States, which is very, very not par for the course. I've got to take a break. I'll get to Dr. Alan Moran right after a news break on TNT Radio. TNT Radio News, We're on your station for news. News. Matt Boyland here with a look at your TNT headlines. New York City's Democratic Mayor Eric Adams has been accused of sexually assaulting a woman who he worked with 30 years ago. A former State Department official has been arrested on hate crime charges. A Pentagon education employee has been arrested, caught up in a human trafficking sting in suburban Atlanta. And China says there is no need for alarm over an illness infecting children in the country's north. On air.
2: And on the app. I
0: listen on the app. Stay up to
1: date around the clock. I listen, therefore I know. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT.
0: Tony says on our chat box, another great segment with John Ruddick. See you next week. Albo, meanwhile, is a clown. He's on a three-year Kentucky tour and uh, sinking grog at the same time. I don't know whether he's drinking, but uh, it does sound like a bit of a holiday. What is it? 21 trips in 18 months? Give me a break. Now, one of the economies going south, you know, we talk about experiencing high mortgage rates and high inflation or high power prices and having massive government debt as we talk about them in terms of being short-term crises, but you know, they are not. When all of these nasties collide, they create long-term damage to a country and they create falling living standards. Life can change. They could lead to people selling their home, getting rid of a car, uh, taking children out of a private school, not going on holidays, not going out anymore. Well, surprise, surprise, the Australian Financial Review revealed last week, and I told you about this, how Australia was experiencing a sharp reduction in living standards. In fact, it was a result of the third quarter of this year not seen within the OECD as a whole. So, is this the result of the factors I've just mentioned, despite other Western nations experiencing similar trends, or has the government been distracted by social policies and allowed the economy to crash and burn? Well, the best man to unpack all of that is Dr. Alan Moran, Principal of Regulation Economics, He's one of australia's best-known commentators on the energy industry and over the past decade has published more than 30 major papers and addresses covering specific aspects of that industry he's an expert in environmental economics and economic policy matters as well he joins us from melbourne dr alan moran welcome back to tnt radio hi chris good to be here good to have you i want to talk about two articles you've written let's start with the first the recent piece you wrote and published in the spectator I think, was essential reading. Firstly, Australia's inability to drive productivity is our major problem, isn't
4: it? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely the major problem. And, and the, a cor- corollary, or a sister problem with that, is inflation. Indeed, uh, the government has been, been blaming it on international factors, has been blaming the productivity on international factors, but the, the chairman or chairwoman of the Reserve Bank uh miss bullock has come out and said no no it's all domestic of course it's domestic the government spending like a like like a drunken trooper uh it's, it's raised the amount of, of of expenditure from what was 24 percent to 26 percent of gdp yeah. uh other countries have pared back after the covid excesses this country is just burgeoned forward we're spending more and more money all the time and at the same time we're squeezing at the other end by reducing the ability to service the debt and to service our economy. Essentially, labour is very, very good at stopping things. It's good at, great at stopping things. It can stop uh, investment. It can stop uh, mining. It can stop agriculture. It can stop the Great Barrier Reef being used for whatever. Um, but it's not very good at producing things. And this is what we're seeing. Uh, the productivity of the economy is going down the tube. And as a result of that, living standards will be going down the tube. And we're seeing when they order. first
0: got in, Alan, when they first got in, it seemed as if all they wanted to do was hand out uh, pay rises to just about every sector because this was this is a really feel good thing to do, and this is where they um, th- where they got it all wrong. Um, what's the rate of spending by the Labor government? Do you know?
4: Well, I mean, you can. It's basically the best way to look at it in in terms of its share of GDP. Yeah. And what what was once twenty four percent was a lot less than that. But twenty four percent under the coalition pre COVID is twenty six percent now. You know that doesn't sound very much. You've gone from twenty four to twenty six, but it's a huge increase, really. It's, it's almost like about an eight percent increase in spending in the in the space of just uh, uh, eighteen months. So essentially, as you say, they've been handing out pay increases. They've been handing out uh, new dole uh, elements, new new health, uh, new whatever. All of it, most of it, worthy, I suppose. But but it sparks inflation unless you have the wherewithal, and they haven't got it, and they're squeezing the wherewithal.
0: Yeah, they're about to throw away billions and billions of dollars in creating a renewable energy nirvana, which surely can't be worth the cost.
4: Oh, absolutely not it's just a, a total farce i mean they've been doing 10 billion dollars a year they've been spending in recent years not only labor but the, the coalition now and that's not working they said they were going to reduce you remember uh, mr albanese had a plan he was going to reduce our energy bills by 275 dollars per per year that's which, right i'm waiting for that joke. still uh but that same plan is still working too is going to get 82 percent of our energy from renewables and now and he's not working so he's got another plan is it announced yesterday or, or, or mr bowen did yesterday yeah, and actually say well we're actually just going to pay all these renewable firms to produce it no matter no matter whether it's good or not there's only one source of energy we're going to buy which is batteries or it's good or it's going to be uh, wind or solar we're not going to buy any any coal or or oil or any other energy which is from dependable resources we're just going to do it from these uh you know make-believe uh, energy resources they are amateurs exactly I mean e- even when they say they said this they say, oh, we've got uh, we're going to be producing 32 gigawatts uh, of new battery well that sounds quite a lot me 32 30 gigawatts is what we've got in coal but the difference is, thirty-two gigawatts of battery gives you about, you know, a hundred at most gigawatt hours of power, whereas thirty gigawatts of coal gives you a 2,000 yes. uh, hours of power. You the know, difference is, is mammoth. Different.
0: The difference is mammoth. Now, listen, I, I, I've discussed this week the government's plans to reduce farmers' water allocations in the Murray Darling Basin. So let me guess. Um, we'll see less produce, and it'll cost more. Is that the way it works?
4: Yeah, of course it does. I mean, basically, what it's a scandal. What we've developed over a hundred years in the Murray Darling uh, is from a relatively arid region, we built dams on that river, uh, it's 40% of our agricultural output comes from that, that province, the Murray-Darling province, uh, which is only, it's only about 12% of Australia, uh, and it's because of that that fantastic agricultural productivity. Uh, and this started getting undermined even 25 years ago, and a group came along and said, oh no, we're wrecking, wrecking that pristine environment. Well, it's a working river. It's a river that works. It's a coexistence between, like any other element, between producing things for us and, and maintaining a nice environment, and it worked very well. But John Howard got spooked a bit, and they they said, "Okay, we're going to take some of the uh, some of the water off the the irrigators." Just to put it in this context, we get 30,000 30, gigaliters a year comes into that system. Irrigators. At that time, we're taking 7,800 out. So most of it goes straight through the system. Mm. John Howard said, okay, we'll take another 500 uh, gigalitres off the irrigators. But then Labour came in and said, no, we'll make that 2,100. And then they've come in again, uh, uh, the recent government said, no, we want another 450. In other words, they've taken off something like almost 20% of the water from irrigators. That means 20% less production. It -hmm. means everything goes up in price. It means incomes go down and what had been prosperous communities in that area are now feeling it very, very tough
0: they are numbskulls. And as a caller said to me a couple of days ago on the show, Alan, it all starts at the very top. This is the sort of thing that the United Nations has been pushing pushing for and the WEF. It's all about, no, we've got to worry about environmental concerns on every single major policy decision. Now, I've got Janine, one of my listeners, who rang in two days ago, and she knew you were talking about the Murray-Darling Basin today because I did put it on social media and she wanted to have a chat with you about her theory related as to why this would be one way, that is in favour of environmental flows as opposed to uh, farmer's uh, advantage. And she's on the line right now. Janine, go right ahead. Alan Moran is listening.
5: Hello, Alan. Yes. Thank you. For you. <laughs> You're so spot on about everything. Um, <laughs> You rightly said in um, your um, article on the Murray Darling Basin that it was a problem that didn't need solving. And that is so true because at the time Howard wanted the teal votes of the day um, and we had a long drought but the main reason is the Commonwealth wanted to wrest control of water from the state. So they manufactured the Water Act around Ramsar which was a protection of wetlands for migratory birds. The whole Act hung on really that. They have put a whole list of other things in there. And at the very end of that, um, they actually say in any other convention which Australia is party to that's relevant. um, And I have maintained and always say that that could mean future um, agreements. But the thing is, too, when you go back to that, Malcolm Turnbull was the main author of the bill. Now, he was ex-Goldman Sachs. Goldman Sachs sits as an international um, financial institution along with a whole lot of banks like the JP Morgans of the world and all of the big global banks. They sit with the UN on a lot of these things, but they were all buying up global water at that time. So, I mean, there's a lot, of, lot to think about, but also the, um, the Australian government has told us Um, in something that came out later, that in summary, the general purpose of the Water Act and the Basin Plan was to give effect to relevant international agreements. And this, you know, it's not about food security. It's not about our production. And they're taking this production away from us. So, you know, what you're saying is spot on.
4: Absolutely, Janine, and I think you're dead right that uh, it was Malcolm Turnbull who was a, a pioneer of this. Uh, I don't know that the golden sacks are right behind it. Certainly, they, they can see a lot of money to be made because essentially what the policy does, it, it actually reduces the amount of water available. And what happens when you reduce the amount out, available? Well, the price, price goes though. up. So, so savvy investors like Goldman Sachs will, will be buying the, the the water and reselling it at a profit, and and in fact yep. they may well be doing uh, whatever is in their power to make sure it becomes even scarcer and therefore even more expensive. But the, bene- the they may be beneficiaries, but the the losers are the farmers uh, uh, and the communities as a whole in Australia, and the politicians don't care. They uh, they all they want to do is get the votes from city people who aren't or don't think they're affected by this of course they are affected in the end because we all have to eat food but they the city people are, are besotted by notions of environmentalism and think that they we're raping the the, the countryside where in fact it's being very very carefully husbanded in, in australia which is why we've had uh, increased productivity from farming for over a hundred years uh, year wow. by year it increases
5: absolutely and i mean it's in Farmers' um, best interest to keep that land in good condition to hand on to the next generation, which yes. is always the right. argument. But you know, <laughs> but it, it's 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 a huge problem, and I I think like we just had huge rallies in Griffith, Leeton, and Deniliquin this last week about um, the government because they're doing the review of this Water Act, um, which is they're trying to take this four hundred and fifty gigalitres, which you alluded to out of the system and also they're taking out um, any, any ne- necessity to take into consideration this triple bottom line of social, economic and um, environmental to, to talk about that or to um, take consideration to legislation so that it's um, equal. Now, I'd always argue that the Act doesn't allow for that and I think Mike Taylor, who was the first um, uh, MDBA chair, he said that too, and he um, he governed that along those lines. And then he went, but the, and then they sort of said, "Oh well, the plebs, you've all complained about this, you know, we'll give you um, this triple bottom line." But now, of course, they're taking it out, and I believe that's to bring that back into line, um, and and that would go in. Um, with the World Economic Forum um, plans for the world, which they're quite happy to tell us about. So, you know, we've, we've, we're have we really in strife, but nobody is talking about the fact that this all goes back to um, Commonwealth control because of the High Court Tasmanian Dam case ruling. And we've so we've lost our sovereign ability to make our own legislation because it's linked to the treaty. So the, the Tasmanian Dam case, Gave um, said that the, the Commonwealth could override the state um, if we signed international treaties under the external affairs power of the Constitution, and so they brought in Ramsar under this Act, and that gives the Commonwealth not only give, not only allowed the Commonwealth to take control of water from the states, but by default, it's giving the United Nations and any of their tentacles um, first bite of our water and so exactly i've
0: got to leave it there i've got to leave it there janine you're right that's exactly what it's doing and as someone has just said on the chat box globalism is destroying our liberties and that sums up exactly your argument i've got to leave it there janine and uh, dr alan moran thank you so much for your time we will catch up to you with you both very shortly thank you thank you good on you dr alan moran from regulation economics i want to tell you about a beer that's beneficial Beneficial. True. We'll talk about that right after a break on TNT Radio. The climate agenda is a national security risk.
1: Where do you hear this? From Washington, D.C., this is the Murano Minute with your host, TNT Radio's Mark Morano. The climate and energy policies of California are threatening the security of residents. California has increased crude oil imports from foreign countries from 5% just 25 years ago to more than 75% today. According to Heartland analyst Ronald Stein, California is the only state in the United States that imports most of its crude oil feedstock to state refineries from foreign countries. California needs this oil for nine international airports and 41 military airports, as well as shipping ports up and down the coast. Meanwhile, Asia has 88 new oil refineries manufacturing fuel for California's airports and shipping terminals. It's time we recognize that the climate agenda is a national security threat. This is Mark Morano for the Morano Minute on TNT Radio.
5: Hi, I'm Ryan Blaney, a third-generation race car driver, and we dedicate a lot of our time to going as fast as possible. But when my grandpa was diagnosed with Alzheimer's, it was a very unexpected bump in the road for us. It's important to notice if older family members are acting differently, experiencing problems with their memory, or having trouble with routine tasks. Early detection of Alzheimer's can give your family time to explore support services, make a plan for the future, and access available treatments. If you or your family are noticing changes, it could be Alzheimer's. Talk about seeing a doctor together. You're with Chris Smith
1: on today's News Talk
5: Radio, TNT.
0: Well, I've reached 350 days of sobriety today, and I've got to admit to you, I'm bloody proud of it. Um, one of the many changes i made, and there were many, many, to get to 350, is to lean on, when I needed it, non-alcoholic drinks for when the cravings were overwhelming. And coincidentally, the non-alcoholic beer market is booming in Australia and around the world, and so the choices are quite incredible. The latest market research analysis is forecasting that the low to no-alcohol drinks volume in Australia will grow 16% by next year. And one of the leading groundbreakers in this sector is the award-winning Beneficial Beer Company, which is in the middle of a crowdfunding process that was quickly oversubscribed, such as the popularity of the brand, And of course it's beers i thought we'd take a closer look at this relatively new concept in brewing with the help of the company's founder david jackson david initially set out to start a small business which might cater to those who are having a once-a-year challenge to go sober. It's now morphed into a product which assists people strive for a life of sobriety and is found in so many pubs and clubs right around Australia. He is a serial entrepreneur, David, a crypto analyst, an angel investor to early-stage businesses in all parts of the world and has over 27 years of experience founding and mentoring successful startups. He joins us from Brisbane in Queensland, David Jackson, welcome to TNT Radio. Thanks, Chris. So this started as a bit of a boutique idea, right?
2: It certainly did, Chris. Yeah, just really started as a passion project when I was uh, did my one year no beer challenge.
0: All right. H- how are non-alcoholic beers made? Because there was a time when you couldn't take the alcohol out, and so they were made without the alcohol being part of the process. How is it done now?
2: Look, there's three different techniques that, that, that breweries use to make non-alcoholic beer. And the big boys use a very expensive piece of machinery and that's called vacuum distillation. And that's where they, they uh, boil the, the alcohol out of the beer under pressure. Um, and then the, there's the second method, which is what we use, which is cold filtration. And that's, that's removing the alcohol uh, under pressure and then the third technique is what most of the uh, our competitors do now and it's relatively the new 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 way of making non-alcoholic beer which has helped the acceleration of the industry and it's really using a maltose negative lack like maltose negative yeast uh, a low grain bill and brewing the, these beers to actually to 0.5% So it's what we would say is probably not a real beer. It's not a fully structured beer. It can leave residual sugars within the beer. um, But, you know, they use a lot of hops to cover those sugars up. So, um, you know, there's three different techniques and it's, uh, you know, they're all very, very unique in their own way.
0: Timing is everything, as you know, more than anyone, but the timing of your company couldn't have been better because there's just been an explosion in people and i don't know whether COVID had anything to do with it maybe you could explain that to us but people are going to the pub and asking for a non-alcoholic beer now it suits of course drivers and and people who want to get back to work um it's a good time to be in the industry
2: it's a great time to be in the industry chris exactly and it's a rapidly growing space it's come off a small base but it is rapidly growing I mean, the Europeans have been ahead of us in the non-alcoholic space for years. It's right. It's part of their culture. I mean, for example, 15% of beers sold in Spain are non-alcoholic. Right. Now, all through Europe, you can go to a restaurant, a bar, and a pub. There's always a beer, a non-alcoholic choice. I mean, it's a sophisticated market. But in Australia, it's an interesting space. We've you know, we've come out of COVID. Absolutely, you're right. I think a lot of people came out of COVID and realised, okay, I've got to go back to work. Let's, uh, let's look at this non-alcoholic option. So... But the great thing about non-alcoholic, the non-alcoholic industry, is that it's not targeted at one specific sector. You've got you've got the the younger age bracket that have been educated about the downfalls of, of consuming ethanol, yeah. and you've got the mature age people that have that have you know getting a bit too old to be drinking, and you've got the you've got that middle group as well that are that are realizing okay I can't keep waking up with hangovers. So the the, the target market is large, and there's specific categories within each, each of those age brackets. So and it's only it's only getting more popular as the market realises that these beers are being made with sophisticated techniques that actually replicate real beer.
0: Yeah. In my process of uh, being sober, I used the non-alcoholic beer, including yours. At times in which I was surrounded by beer drinkers or or wine drinkers, or I was in an environment that I had to go to, and there was lots of drinking to be had, so I thought I've got to try and cling on to something to try and take the cravings away, and it worked. Now, a lot of people say, oh, that's not the best way to give up, Grog. Well, I've got to say, I'm 350 days and counting, and it's it's worked wonders for me.
2: Mm. Yeah, well, well done on that. Congratulations on the 350 days. I ended up doing 455 when I did my one-year no-beer challenge, but you're dead right. Having that, having that beer in your hand when you're in a social setting, whether it's a barbecue with the family, whether it's a Friday afternoon down at the pub with your mates, or a Tuesday lunchtime with work colleagues, it, you know, it does help a certain group of people to be able to reduce that alcohol intake, um, and you know, and that's what we're finding. So it's. It, it, it's yeah, and, and also there's the placebo effect. How many times have I had people ring me up and go, DJ, you sure there's no alcohol in this beer? And I'm like, well, well, I've I've had two and I've I feel really good, and I'm like, yep, that's the placebo effect of drinking non-alcoholic beer. So you you get that when you start when you start drinking non-alcoholic beer. It, it sort of wears off after a while when you realise that you're not getting that full that full ethanol hit, but um. But it's it's certainly awesome, an awesome feeling for people that are venturing into the non-alcoholic space.
0: Very true. Tell us about your crowdfunding campaign. Why have you done that?
2: Oh, look, we you know we needed to capitalise the business, Chris. We've sort of got knocked on the door from Aldi. We got knocked on the door from Coles. We've got great huge demand. Um, I've got a great bunch of investors that have followed me through for the last three years in, in the business. And we just had a meeting, and we decided we'd open it up to our fans. We thought, what better way to build an, a, a network and an army of people to represent the band? We all know the capital markets are tight at the moment, but we mm-hmm. opened, raised within twenty-four hours. We'd broken all records on on, on virtual. You know, we'd raised three hundred sixty-five thousand in twenty-four hours. We're up to about four hundred and fifty now. We've got four or five days to go. Uh, there's always a bit of a rush at the end. And we're really, really overwhelmed with the, with the, with the support that we've been showing. It's been an exceptional couple of weeks. And it's just going to set the business up for another couple of years of, of rapid growth. So we've got a few innovations that we're going to bring to the market that the non-alphic drinkers are going to really like. Um, and, you know, we just needed some money to, to 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 get more non-alcoholic beer in front of more Australians in more venues, Chris.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's the trick. You know, there are some places I go and they don't sell it. You know, there are some restaurants that I might go to in Sydney uh, for an early lunch and I'll find that they don't have a, a non-alcoholic um, choice. And I think to myself, they're the stupid ones because this is a growth sector. Now, how can my new south wales listeners stroke viewers pop in and see how the brewing is done at beautiful lake macquarie
2: yeah yeah love to have anyone they can you can just go to our website and there's a contact us page and you can just say look i was listening to chris love to come down to the brewery and have a look what you're doing so that's probably the easiest way to make to to reach out chris i respond to those within probably within an hour most 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 days um and love to have your listeners down to see how we do it Give away a few of the trade secrets, no problem
0: at all. Yeah, fantastic. Hey, all the very best. Thank you very much for what your company has done to assist me through where I am. And I'm sure you can assist others at the same time. And what a way to get things done as well as have a beer in the normal day-to-day life that people have, a very hectic life. Thank you very much and all the best for the company, David.
2: Excellent. Thanks for your time, Chris, and thanks for having me. Cheers.
0: No, No problem. David Jackson is his name. Beneficial Beer Company and uh, they're expanding as you can tell and they're the timing is perfect this is the time in which this is starting to um un, you know it's starting to work with so many people so many australians right up until uh, uh, probably covid we've been sort of fixed with having beer that's got to be full blown alcohol but that's changing and we're now doing what the the spanish and the europeans have been doing for many many decades which is trying non-alcoholic beer um and i can only say that it's uh, contributed to my particular advancement. So there you go. Uh, Pelly says, thanks for another great week, Chris. Have a good weekend, and we will see you on Monday. Absolutely. That's exactly what I was about to say. I hope you enjoyed the week. We will see you on Monday at the same time. I'm looking forward to it, and I hope you can work out exactly how to watch us as well on the various video streaming platforms. Thank you so much. Up next... Lembit Opic will take you through for the next hour and uh, I'll see you on Monday. Have a great weekend. This is Chris Smith on TNT Radio.